So we are in the first epistle of John, second half of chapter 2. And I've titled the message today, Loving the Truth. And I, I love that we did the battle hymn this morning. This was not planned, but as I was listening to the powerful repeating, his truth is marching, truth is marching. I was just thinking about the reality of those lyrics. Thank you, Nancy, for sharing the story uh, of, of the lyrics with us. Thinking of the power of those lyrics, that God's truth is unassailable. It is eternal. Jesus, in John chapter 17, prayed that the Father would sanctify or set apart his disciples in the truth. And truth is an interesting thing biblically because there are a lot of uh, realities about the truth. The truth is the word of God. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. Jesus said that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And Jesus, of course, alluded to himself as the way, the truth, and the life. So God is true. And it's important that as we pursue truth, we understand that we are pursuing a relationship with the living God. Truth is not just words on a page, but it's a person. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we love the truth as we love the Lord, as we fall into that love relationship with God. Truth is something that is under attack, has been for, for some period of time. But I want you to understand here this morning, and, and we'll get to this in the, in the passage, that there is an active satanic plan to divert you from the truth, to get your minds focused on something other than the truth of the Word of God, the truth of the Son of God, the truth of the Spirit of God. And we have to be aware of that attack. Everyone here this morning, I am sure, knows Billy Graham. Maybe not personally, but you know of Billy Graham. He's been a nationally known, internationally known evangelist since the 1940s a very profound ministry. But I suspect that most of you do not know Charles Templeton. Anyone in here know who Charles Templeton is? Okay, a few people. Charles Templeton was a contemporary of Billy Graham's. In fact, many people thought that his ministry as an evangelist, was going to supersede Billy Graham's. He was the more dynamic of the two. And so many people thought that Templeton would be the more successful evangelist. And they were friends with one another as they were growing up in the ministry. But unfortunately, what happened to Charles Templeton is that he began to be dissuaded from the truth by human philosophy and human science. And there's an interesting passage in his book, 
farewell to God because ultimately Templeton became an atheist. He died an atheist, even though he started out as a very powerful and uh, impacting evangelist for the gospel. He ultimately died an atheist. And there's a passage in his book, Farewell to God, where he talks about the, the parting of ways between he and Billy Graham. And Templeton wanted to go to Princeton University to study critically the Christian faith. And he began to talk to Billy Graham about his belief that the Bible was, in fact, not true in many respects, And in fact, Templeton became an avid evolutionist. And he argued with Billy Graham. He said, Billy, you can't believe that the Bible is true when it talks about God creating the world in six days and resting on the seventh. Science has disproven that, Billy. You're committing intellectual suicide if you continue to espouse that. And Billy Graham's response to him was, when I approach this book as the word of God and I accept it by faith as the word of God, God blesses, God empowers, and God is present within my ministry. And so they took separate paths. Ultimately, Templeton died as an atheist, as I said, in 2001, never again returning to the faith of his childhood and of his early adulthood. And it all began with a small departure from the truth, from that living, loving, intimate relationship with God. And that's what John is talking about here, beginning in verse 18. Well, actually, let's go back a couple of verses to verse 15. I spoke on this last week, but it's important in connection with what we are going to be talking about this morning. John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, these come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So John is exhorting his readers not to love the world. And of course, I told you that the world exists Biblically speaking, in three different ways. First, it's the physical world, this planet that we trod upon. Secondly, it is the world of humanity, the world of those of us created in the image of God. And then finally, there is the world in the sense that it is a world system of governance in opposition to God and to God's rule and authority. And that's the way John is speaking here. He's saying, don't love that aspect of the world governance that is opposed to, that stands against God. Where are your affections targeted? Is literally what John is saying. So then he says in verse 18, Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. So John tells his readers that this is the last hour. And indeed that is true. From the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ moving forward to this very morning, we have been in the last hour. There is nothing else that need happen in order for God to save us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins, was buried, 
and resurrected on the third day. That is the gospel. And through belief in that, we can be saved. It is the last hour, the age of grace, where God has extended his grace towards us in the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's the last hour. And there is a great crisis that has been occurring for these last 2,000 years, wherein the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the person of who Jesus Christ is, has been under attack. From the very early days of the gospel and even up until this time. John says that you've heard about the personality known as Antichrist. That he is coming. And that is true. The Bible speaks of a person who will enter onto the world stage. Who will, through deception, lying signs and wonders, the Bible says, assume control over the whole world and the governance of the world. He will be the ultimate satanic leader. That is a person who is coming. But John says that even now, there are many antichrists who have come. Now, antichrist can be understood in two ways. It can be antichrist, opposed to Christ, or it also can mean antichrist in replacement of or like Christ. And that is what is being spoken of here. These are those who come in the name of Christ, but they are preaching something vastly different than the simple truth of the gospel as revealed in the pages of Scripture. And John says the fact that all of these preachers who once were a part of the church, have gone out and have begun to preach and teach something that is not consistent with the Bible, indicates to us that this is the last hour, that we are in that crisis of truth with regards to salvation and with regards to the means of salvation, faith, simple faith in Jesus Christ. So John says, they went out from us, But they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, there are different ways that we can be deceived. The Bible talks about this. One of the ways that we can be deceived is, as Charles Templeton was, through worldly philosophy. It talks about that in Colossians chapter 2. It says, don't let anyone take you captive through the empty and vain philosophy of this world. All of those things that seem so wise appear to be so true, so profound, and yet are devoid of Jesus Christ and the Word of God. So many people throughout history have been deceived, have been taken captive by the enemy because they have believed the lies of the enemy that have been propagated through this world system. It's not surprising. Jesus said of Satan in John chapter 8 that he is the father of lies. It's part of his very nature to lie and to deceive. So this is important stuff, church, because we are as I said earlier, under attack. We are the targets of those who want to 
seduce us and draw us away from the simple truth of the gospel. So we can be called away by worldly philosophy. It also says in Colossians chapter 2 that we can be drawn away by religious ritual. That we can get so caught up in religious pursuit, doing things ritualistically, that we lose the relationship with God that he desires. And we become, as the Pharisees, much more focused on the things we do rather than the one who loved us and gave himself for us. So religious ritual can be deceptive. In fact, one of the very first Christian, uh, pseudo-Christian cults out there were what were called the Judaizers. These were the guys who followed along after the the Apostle Paul, wherever the Apostle preached, he would preach faith, that you can be saved by simple faith, grace given to you by God. Nothing you can do to merit salvation. You simply believe in what Jesus has done for you. And then these Judaizers would come along and they would say, well, Paul's message is good as far as it goes. But there's much more to it. In order to be saved, you must become circumcised according to the law of Moses. And you must keep the entire law of Moses in order to truly receive salvation. And Paul became so upset with these Judaizers, he said in Galatians chapter 6, I wish they'd go all the way and just emasculate themselves. They talk about circumcision. I wish they'd just cut it all off. That's what it says. Galatians chapter 6, read it. So that was really the first pseudo-Christian cult. And here John is addressing another pseudo-Christian cult that has arisen. It was the early form of what was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a cult based upon secret knowledge or secret understanding of true things. You had to be initiated into the truth. And they would talk about Jesus, the Gnostics. They would acknowledge Jesus, but they preached a very different Jesus than who the apostles preached. The Gnostics preached that Jesus, in fact, did not come in the flesh. That because Jesus was connected to God. He had to be spirit because the Gnostics believed the flesh was evil and the spirit was good. And so if Jesus was in the flesh, he could not be from God. And that's why you'll find in this epistle and also in John's gospel, John's so frequently referring to the truth that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He was just like you and me in the flesh. He experienced all of the things that we experienced. Hunger, Thirst, weariness, sadness. All of those things Jesus experienced, and yet he was without sin. So there are a lot of different things that Satan uses to deceive us, to seduce us into walking away from the simple truth that is in the gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith, and to get us confused about who Jesus is, what his nature is. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So so here, John points out that these guys had been with 
the apostolic band. They had been a part of the early church, but they went out from them. And that showed that they were not of them. So I want to give you three different things that uh, are found in the passage this morning that can help protect you from deception. Because, again, I keep repeating myself, but this is important. You are a target to be deceived. Satan is trying to lure you away from simple faith. The first is found right here in the verses I just read. We must abide or remain or continue or tarry within the church. That is what the apostle is saying here. He's saying they left the the fellowship that taught the truth, and they began to teach something that was untrue about the faith, about Jesus Christ. We must abide. The church does not save you. You do not get saved by coming to church. But once you are saved, It is so important that you maintain an abiding fellowship with the body of Christ because it is in that abiding fellowship that you are, in some measure at least, protected from the deception of the enemy. Here John says that they left the apostolic band. They went out to begin to teach their own thing in opposition to. So they were literally, as John says, antichrists. So we need to abide with the church. But we also, it says in verse 20, need to have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. And he says, you do indeed have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. I'm not writing to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know the truth and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is a liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So what John is saying to his readers here is that you have, as born-again Christians, been given the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, has been placed within us as a down payment, an earnest from God, showing his commitment to follow through on the covenant of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So you have an anointing. Everyone who has been born again of God has the Holy Spirit uh, dwelling within you. And that Holy Spirit helps you to understand and to discern the truth. And you must rely upon that anointing from the Holy Spirit. You know the truth, John says. You must guard it. You must protect it. And you guys all know this. How do you learn to identify counterfeit money? By becoming familiar with the real thing. That's how you learn to identify counterfeits. And John is saying, you know the truth. You have an anointing from God, the Holy Spirit within you. You need to learn to hear that voice, to understand it is speaking truth 
to you. So we must abide in the church. We must allow the anointing of the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to teach us, literally, the truth of God. In verse 24, the third, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. So we also need to abide in the word. Abide in the word of God. As I mentioned, John 17, 17. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. John here says, what you have heard, the word you have heard from the beginning, you must remain or abide in that. This book is a protector against the deceptions of the enemy. This book teaches us through the Holy Spirit's illumination who Jesus Christ is. None of us have met Jesus Christ in the flesh, but all of us have met him in the pages of this book and through the introduction of the Holy Spirit, have we not? So we must abide in the Word of God. Christians who avoid reading the Word of God, who avoid uh, becoming students of the Word of God, expose themselves to being deceived. Paul said to Timothy, he said, study the word, to show yourself approved, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So there is an investment that is required here to abide in the word, to study the word, to rightly divide its meaning. And so John says, exhorts his readers, remain in that initial word that you received. And if you do, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. This is what he has promised to us, eternal life. So through that abiding relationship, through that anointing of the Holy Spirit, we receive access into eternal life. And again, eternal life is all about Jesus. It says in John chapter 17, verse 3, that this is eternal life, that they believe upon your son whom you have sent. People think of eternal life in the the way that um, it's a place that you go to somehow. And once you get there, then you begin to experience eternal life. And it's a wonderful place, and it's great and everything. But what I would suggest to you here this morning is that for those of us who have been born again through the gospel, we have eternal life right now. We are in relationship with Jesus Christ. And through that relationship, have access to the very throne room of God to receive help in time of need. We have that wonderful blessing of knowing that wherever we go, Whatever we do, Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. See, we have access into this eternal life, into this relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit through the simple gospel. And we protect that by abiding, by staying in relationship with God through the Word, in relationship with God through His church in relationship with God through his anointing spirit that dwells within us. All of these things are absolutely critical in order 
for us to protect ourselves from the enemy and his deceptions. Look what it says in verse 26. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As I mentioned, you are a target. There are spiritual entities and human beings who have let themselves become tools of those spiritual entities that are actively targeting you, attempting to deceive you, to seduce you, to lure you away from the faith, from relationship with Jesus Christ, pulling you into, as the Judaizers wanted to, religious ritual, empty faith based upon religious observation, or pulling you into some kind of special knowledge that if you come to this place, we will indoctrinate you. We will introduce you to the real truth about Jesus Christ. I mean, the different avenues that Satan uses to deceive, they're all out there, and and they've been out there for 2,000 years. And unfortunately, people don't do these very basic things in order to protect themselves from those deceptions. People are trying to lead us astray. (laughs) If you go onto the internet, and I'm not suggesting that you do this because it's a great way to be led astray, but if you are strong in the word, go onto the internet, and what you will find is that it is a gamut of different doctrinal approaches to how you get saved, who Jesus Christ is, what you should be doing to secure salvation, to maintain salvation. I mean, it's all over the place. And it has the veneer of Christianity. They throw the name of Jesus into the mix. That's not a new thing either. Listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthians. Paul's telling them that they are being targeted by false apostles who are trying to deceive them and lead them astray, just as John has been writing about. Listen to what he says. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. In other words, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you're willing to entertain anything. Someone comes in and throws the name of Jesus onto a message, and you think it's all right. He says there are different Jesuses out there. We need to be aware of that. Just because the name of Jesus is put on the front of a church building does not mean necessarily that they preach the biblical Jesus. That is what Paul is telling the Corinthians. He's chastising them because they're just receiving anything that comes along. A different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit. They have no discernment. They have not exercised the anointing. They have grown divisive within their fellowship. 
And because of that, they are open to all different manner of false doctrine. Paul said the same to the Galatians. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, we say once again, if anybody preaches to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. That's heavy language. But Paul understands the gravity of this situation. A different gospel is being preached to the Galatians. A different gospel was being preached to the Corinthians. And these folks are just lapping it up. They're receiving it readily rather than just accepting the simple truth of a relationship with God by grace through faith. John says, you are being targeted. There are those out there who are trying to lead you astray. You must understand that. So you need to develop discernment. You need to develop the ability to rightly divide the word of God and to understand who Jesus Christ is. Now, ultimately, I'm not going to teach you that. Ultimately, you will have to learn it as you place yourself under the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what John writes. As for you, the anointing, again, that spirit in you and upon you, you received from him remains in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real and not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. The Holy Spirit, his ministry is to testify of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He said, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter will come and he will testify of me. The Holy Spirit knows Jesus Christ perfectly. That's why he's called the Spirit of Truth. And so when you are born again, when you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes into you. You must begin to allow the Holy Spirit to teach you. And the way the Holy Spirit teaches us is through application of this book, through opening up the pages, beginning to study this book. Now, granted, there are those who have been given to the church, it says in Ephesians 4, to teach. Some pastors, some teachers, Paul said. And if we are doing our job as we ought, we are relying upon the Holy Spirit of God to use the Word of God to educate the people of God about what it means to be in relationship with God. It's simple stuff, folks. But, but our pride, that, that Satan tempts us in the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The pride of life gets us looking at this book and says, you know, there's got to be something more to this than simply believing. There's got to be something more than simply trusting that God sent his son to die in my place, that I might be forgiven of my sin, and that he rose from the dead, 
And that by simple faith in that, I can experience everlasting life. There's got to be something more. I've got to do something, right? I've got to keep some kind of code. I've got to show somehow that I am worthy of receiving everlasting life. And that's where Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, I betrothed you as as a pure virgin to Christ, just to him. And the simple beauty of that relationship is all you need to hold on to. He loves you, church, just as you are. You don't have to do anything to impress him, to step into relationship with him, except for receive the free gift. I know I've sort of been pounding this, but it's something that really is on my heart because I see it all the time. I see people who started out well in their walk with God, but then they got diverted into some kind of false doctrine. They let go of that simple, loving relationship with Jesus into something that was much more complex and flesh-based. And they lost their love for the Lord. And just like Charles Templeton, they ultimately end up on the road that leads to destruction. Jesus said it himself. The path is narrow that leads to life. But wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many there be that find it. Here it is. This is what you need to hold on to. Jesus Christ is God, the Son, He was God the Son from eternity, and He will be God the Son through eternity. He stepped into creation, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died upon a cross for my sin and for yours. The price for sin was paid in His death, His burial into the earth, and His resurrection from the grave proved that He has power over death and over hell, and all you need to do is believe that, step into it, and love the Lord, and receive his love. That is what it's all about. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that you've been given to us in Jesus Christ, in your your word, the Bible, in your spirit that indwells us. I pray for this congregation, Lord, that we would hold on to, just as Paul exhorted the Corinthians, that simple, loving relationship with you. We have been betrothed to one groom, and that is Jesus Christ. Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom necessary to rightly discern truth from error and to walk with you in love. In Jesus' name, amen.